back to the book of Revelation. We're in the last two chapters, going to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. We're about halfway almost through that chapter. And uh, it's a heavy book. (laughs) And definitely a book filled with meaning for the days in which we are in, because we're living in the perilous times that the Apostle Paul said would come in the last days, perilous times would come, or as NASB has it, ter- uh, difficult times would come. And how many of you have noticed difficult times around the world, you know, uh, in the church, you know, sometimes in our own personal lives because of the trials that come about at, in regard to the world that we live in, amen? And the enemy rages, he's very real. We have a spiritual war that we are in, and we need to be wise, and we need to be victorious, uh, the, the world has a bunch of lies in it. The, the church has a bunch of lies in it. You know, I'm not talking about you guys, but the church, that's what's called the church. Uh, and we need to be aware of what God's word says. And we need to look at what the book of Revelation says because it kind of just opens our eyes to what's going on in the spiritual world in the end of days and uh, how it applies to us today. Uh, these, this, this book was not just written for people 2,000 plus years later after this was penned, it was written to seven churches and everything that followed was to be applied to them as best they could in their own situation before the final Antichrist would arise. And it's not just to them because at the end of each church we read something like this, a rejoinder, let him that has an ear have an ear, you know. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we need to say, okay, what's the Lord saying to us here? And, you know, how do we grow in Christ? How do we learn from this? And uh, if this book was written, it was important in the first century. Think about this. If this book was written in the first century, and it was at the latter part of the first century in the 90s, according to Domitian, uh, or according to, I should say, Irenaeus, Domitian was reigning at the time. How much more is important when we're that much closer to the end? Amen. So it's interesting Uh, In verse 8, there'll be a lot of things for you to consider for your own walk with Jesus as we go through this, because here we have, we just finished verse 7 last time we were in the book of Revelation going through our verse-by-verse study, which says, he who overcomes will inherit these things in regard to the heavenly city that has just been talked about, our inheritance in Christ. And, And it goes on to describe that throughout the rest of 21, most of the rest of 21, and a big part of 22 describes the home we're going to, you know? And as I've said before, if you like watching those shows about, you know, homes and homemaking and, you know, creating the wing here or redesigning that, you guys, (laughs) check this out. This blows away anything that, you know, you could take the thousand best homes ever made and put them all together and it's like a garbage dump, like an outhouse compared to what God has going, amen? So it's interesting. But before we get there in that description... Uh, which happens in the verse after the verse we look at today. So I'm excited about getting into that. It's really heavy. A lot of heavy stuff going on, heavy allusions to the Old Testament really open your eyes and you understand like, wow, it's, it's profound. You definitely do not want to miss those studies. Uh, so in verse 8, he says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And the name of this message is the vice list of the damned. Okay? The vice list of the damned. There are several vice lists in scripture as we read through 
Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 4 through 7 or 8 there. Uh, Revelation right here, 21, 8, but also Revelation 9, 19 and 20. Revelation chapter 22, verse 15. It gives a very similar list of those who will not enter into the heavenly city. And those are just some of the lists. You can find one in Romans chapter 1 as well around verse 32, and they're all over the place. And the Lord wants to make it clear who's not entering the kingdom of God and who's going to the lake of fire. And you want to make sure you are not on this list. Amen? Amen. With all your heart, you want to make sure you are not on any of the advice lists of those who will not inherit God's kingdom. And he wants to make it clear to us so we don't say, I didn't know, you know, if I was, you know, practicing witchcraft, I was going to hell. I didn't know if I was, you know, a murderer. You know, I was, go, I was going to the lake of fire. He wants everybody to know who's going where. But it's interesting, it's important to understand the contrast between verse 20, chapter 21, verse 7, and the first word, the first, those who head up the list of the damned on 20, in 21, verse 8. In 21, 7, we read, he who overcomes, and how do we overcome again? Revelation, 20, Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame him, that is the devil, by the, by the what? By the blood of the Lamb, that's the ground of our victory, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the word of their testimony, right? Your confession that he is Lord. And what? Amen. Not loving their lives unto death, persevering in the faith. And those who overcome will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Wow, what a promise that you are a child of God. Amen. Well, guess what? But for the cowardly. The cowardly. Interesting. The cowardly are those who did not overcome in the end. Who didn't continue to have their testimony of Christ shed blood for their sins and did not persevere unto death. It's important to see that contrast to understand what's actually going on here or you'll miss the, the meaning of the text. And the reason that cowardly, and it's interesting, the, the cowardly are the ones who are very first on the list of the damned. I think it's because those are the folks that break God's heart the most. And I think it's because those are the folks where the scripture is warning that in the times of this great trial, you need to be victorious. It also applies to this very life, that you need to continue to have your testimony, the life you're living right now before this even happens, that you do not denounce Christ. He commends one of the church's uh, people, some of the people in one of the churches, because they did not renounce his name. They did not denounce, as one translation says, his name. In the days of Antipas, who was his faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. That's what he says. Satan was dwelling there at that church in a Pergamum, or I should say in that community in Pergamum. They worshiped Zeus. They worshiped Domitian. They didn't just worship the head Greek god who represented Satan, but they worshiped Domitian, who was the emperor at the time. And that's why John was on the Isle of Patmos being uh, exiled. And they worshiped him, and he claimed to be God. You could be killed or exiled if you didn't worship him. So that had application to them in those days, even though the final Antichrist hadn't come. That's why we need to draw a line today and say, wow, our culture is getting darker and darker. I could tell you right now, if the so-called woke crowd, which is really the sleep crowd, sadly, pray for them, my heart breaks for them, but if they were ruling unfettered, if you can kill millions of babies, you can easily kill millions of people you hate. Think about that. Pray, amen. Thankfully, it's a small part of the country that's actually fully blown woke, woke, but they tend to pull a lot of the levers in power. 
Okay? So you need to pray. Amen? You need to be steadfast because it's going to get uglier in the future. Now, it's interesting because commentators point out that this word cowardly refers to professing Christians who turned away from the Lord. Even uh, G.K. Beale, in his commentary in the book Revelation, and he's a Reformed commentator, right? Uh, he states this, John lists various kinds of sinners among those who will deserve judgment. By introducing the list of sins with cowards and concluding with liars, he shows that these vices primarily indict failures of so-called Christians facing the threat of reality of persecution. The cowardly, he says, are those who have been professing Christians. They are those in the visible community of faith who have turned back in the holy war with the world and have not demonstrated courageous faith in the battle against the beast. A.T. Robertson, the foremost Greek scholar of his day and perhaps one of the, if not the most foremost Greek scholar ever uh, of modern times, I should say, A.T. Robertson in his word pictures in the Greek states this. It says it's an old word, this Greek word that's translated cowardly in the original Greek. It's an old word for the cowardly who recanted under persecution. That's what the word refers to and, and when, you, when you look at it and you look at the history of that word. And it deserves special attention because it's the first on the list and it speaks to the temptation that all Christians will face to one degree or another at different times in their walk with Jesus. There'll be different times in your walk where you'll be tempted to no longer profess Christ as your Lord through different types of trials and what have you, especially in the end times. In Revelation 13, verse 10, when it talks about those who are persecuted by the beast, it says right after it says, he'll overcome the saints, you know? In Revelation 13, five through seven. Then in verse 10, it says, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Catch that? When there's persecution, the point of being imprisoned and being put to death, God's word says it calls, the book of Revelation says it calls for endurance, calls for perseverance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Revelation 14, 11 and 12, when it talks about what will happen to those who worship the Antichrist, we read in Revelation 14, 11 and 12, and the smoke of their torment will rise up forever and ever, and there'll be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Then listen to verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Do you see that? That's one of the main thrusts of the book of Revelation is being an overcomer, remaining faithful to death, remaining loyal to Jesus through persecution. Yet in Revelation 21.8, right after it talks about he that overcomes will inherit all these things and I'll be his God and he'll be my son. But for the cowardly, those who recant their faith, those who don't remain faithful to the end, those who don't hold fast their faith, their place, along with the others on the vice list, will be in the lake of fire, or they will experience, as it says, the second death, which is the lake of fire. This should get every Christian's attention. We could just park on this part and just talk about this for the rest of the service, easily. We could do that with the very next word on the vice list, too, and the very next word, but then we'd have like eight messages in Revelation 21.8. When I did my first time I went through the book of Revelation, I did that with some verses. I don't know how many verse, weeks we were in verse one, I think like 20 weeks or something, you know? <laughs> 
But this still, I can almost guarantee you, if not guarantee you, I can almost guarantee you, this will be the most in-depth message you may get on Revelation 21.8 or that you can find. Because when I come to tech, the scripture, I try to make it as the best message you could possibly hear on something. That's not that I achieve that all the time, but that's my heart. That's my goal, you know, is not in any kind of competition, but because my heart beats for, with God, please know what his word says. Realize what's happening, not only in the future, but right now and how his word applies to you. And we can't just skim over things, you know. Sometimes by the nature of a study you might go through, you'll skim a little more. Other times, this, this verse requires not necessarily eight weeks, but it, it, it requires knowing what these words are talking about and how they apply to the book of Revelation and how they are, fit their, their, their immediate context and their broader context of Revelation and how they apply to today. So you might be tempted at something, and you might not be facing the beast. You might fall under some just small persecution, you know, that you're not allowed to use the name of Jesus anymore, you know. Or you could come here and pray. We did it. We're slating you to lead this prayer, but you're not allowed to use the name of Jesus. I'm sorry. Then I'm the wrong guy to pray, you know. You have to take a stand. The Bible says don't fear man. Jesus said don't fear man who can destroy your body, but fear God who can destroy your body and your soul in hell. That's serious stuff, amen? Now, to be courageous doesn't mean you won't experience any fear. We're all human, okay? It means when you experience fear, you will not compromise and betray Christ because you want to feel safe rather than get persecuted for his name. Amen? Doesn't mean you won't experience fear. You will experience fear. Okay, that word is best translated cowardly and not fear. Some tra- the King James says, but the fearful. It's talking about more than being fearful. It's talking about being decisive in your fearfulness to deny Christ, to find safety from persecution. Amen? So it's imperative that we make right decisions. I looked, uh, this word is in the uh, theological cowardly. In the theological lexicon of the New Testament, it says this of this word. The theological lexicon of the New Testament says, quote, when Revelation 21.8 places the faint-hearted and the unbelieving in the lake of fire, it has in view Christians during times of persecution who, out of fear of suffering, renounce their faith. It is a commonplace that human courage and cowardice are revealed in the face of death. Wow. And by the way, so much for, oh yeah, you can accept Christ and fall away later and everything will be fine. These are in the list of the damned, amen? Are you with me? Don't ever fall. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay, that's, that's to me the greatest deception of the church right now. Oh, you can deny Christ after receiving him and you'll just lose some rewards. That's a, that's a, that's a damnable doctrine, man. It's damned more souls than probably any other false doctrine in the church. It's contrary to exactly what we've been looking at in the meaning of that word. Grant Osborne, in his in really, really good commentary in the book of Revelation, makes the following statement regarding this word. While the rest of the list describes the unchurched and wicked who were the enemies of Christianity, this first term probably describes those in the church who, fought, who failed to persevere but give in to the pressures of the world. The reader is being asked to make a choice whether to overcome the pressure of the world and refuse to succumb to it or to be a coward and surrender to sin. Those who do so will join the unbelieving world in eternal damnation. Wow. I try not to quote too many commentators, but I want to let you know, commentators are pretty much in agreement that this refers to professing Christians who renounce their faith. In fact, we learn early in the book of Revelation, it ties into the book of Revelation itself. It ties not only to the circumstances that will come, but it ties to the circumstances that they were experiencing in the first century. How? 
He tells the church at Smyrna, a suffering church, the one, one of the couple churches he had nothing negative to say about. Them and the church of Philadelphia were the only churches he didn't say anything negative about. But he says, that, he says, you know, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you to prison. and You shall have tribulation 10 days. He says, don't fear. He says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. He's contrasting their faithfulness and receiving the crown of life with their renouncing Christ and failing to overcome and experiencing the second death because of their cowardice, which is what we're seeing here in Revelation 21, 7 and 8. Are you with me? This is very, very important. And as Christians, one of the things that we experience when we turn to Christ is the devil comes after us. First of all, before we become Christians, remember the parable of the sower? When someone sows the seed of what God's word in your heart, what does he do? He seeks to snatch it away before you believe. In Luke 8, it says he snatches it away because he doesn't want you to believe and be what? Saved. Well, the next thing in Luke chapter 8 is those who do believe for a while, implying they were saved for a while, because if they believe, they'll be saved. After they believe for a while, right, he brings temptation and they fall away. But he also talked about those on the rocky, not on the rocky soil. He talks about another soil, well, the rocky soil. Listen to what he says. This is in Matthew 13 as well and, and uh, Mark 4. I'm reading right now from Matthew 13. The one who, whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Praise God, man. I can't believe Jesus died for me, you know? Praise God. I'm excited. They're excited. The angels of God rejoice, right? When one sinner comes to repentance and they're rejoicing, they receive it with joy. And there's a lot of people like that. It's hopefully all of us, but not everybody continues. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. It's a temporary believer. And when affliction or persecution, that's the word Jesus says, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Praise God. I love Jesus, man. He died for me. He rose again. I'm so excited. Having new life in Christ. This is exciting. Then guess what? They go to work. Oh, man, I shouldn't be laughing at those jokes. Hey, how come? You find that funny, man? You always laugh at that. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian now. And, you know, and you're talking about, you know, some really perverse stuff there. And Sorry, man. I, I can't go there anymore. You know, I'm following Christ. And hopefully you can come to know him. And they start laughing at you, start mocking at you. Some people that your best friends at work or wherever you're at stop talking to you. And then you're like, I don't like this life. Um, you know what? I'm just not going to talk about the Lord so much. And then you go back to work. You don't talk as much. And then you start laughing at the jokes because I got to at least laugh. And I don't want to be, you know, considered a you know, Jesus freak. And then before you know it, you just renounce your faith whether it's externally or just in your heart. Don't do it, man. Hold fast to Jesus, amen? Stick to Jesus. When you're being persecuted, and that's light persecution compared to facing, getting your head cut off, right? But people fall even during light persecution. If you can't run with the foot soldiers, it says, how are you, what are you gonna do when the, the guys with the chariots come, right? The horsemen come, you know? We gotta, we gotta endure right now to persevere later, amen? And it's like working out at a gym spiritually. You work out your spiritual muscles when you go through persecution here. In case something heavier comes in the future, you're stronger when that time comes, amen? So it's very, very important that we understand this. And, you know, how can we have victory over these types of things? 
And because it's the first one on the list, I'll spend more time on this one than I will some of the others. But one thing is to recognize how much, how loved you are. You'd be denying the one who made you. You'd be denying the one who suffered so radically to save you and died on, for your sins. Think of who you're denying. You're denying the one that you're going to stand before who's going to decide where you're going to spend eternity. That's heavy, heavy stuff, man. And I think it's important also that we recognize that God has not given us any temptation. He says there's no temptation that's overtaking you, which is not common to man. There's other believers that go through it, all, have gone through it in the past, will go through it in the future from now, and go through it certainly during the tribulation period. He says there's no temptation or trial that's taking you that's not common to man. But God is faithful who with the trial will give you what? A way of escape. Now the way of escape doesn't mean you won't face the trial. It says a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So a way of escape doesn't mean you don't go through the trial. Sometimes, Lord, it's not a temptation to deliver us from evil. Sometimes you pray, he'll deliver you from a trial you won't have to go through. That's why it's important to pray too. Amen? But sometimes the way, the way to escape it is by going through it. Well, how is that escaping it? You know how escaping it? Because Paul says that you may be able to endure it. How do I escape but I still endure it? It means to endure it without sinning. It means to endure it without rebelling against the Lord. It means God giving you the strength to go through it like he gave Paul. Look at what Paul went through, amen? God gave him grace. My grace is prayed three times, Lord, take this from me. It's just, the Lord's, didn't he? Finally, the Lord says, Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, right? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to get you through it. He, so he promises to give us sufficient grace. We pray that God will take things away, and sometimes he takes them away. Sometimes he says, I know, know I'm going to use this in your life to make you more like, more like me, amen? So we have to trust the Lord. Ultimately, it comes to trust in the Lord. Another thing you do is commit scriptures to memory, you know? I've committed a lot of scripture to memory that helps me in times of uh, trial and what have you. You know, when I was supposed to die, they told me, the cardiologist, you won't survive. Uh, the, uh, if you get COVID, I got it right after he said that, you know? Uh, I'm not blaming anybody, Chad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know if it was Chad for sure, but he just wrestled with some people and he didn't you know he had it and we're doing a show together and then he had the symptoms and all of a sudden I had the symptoms. But I was around a couple other people after that too. And praise the Lord, we kept doing God's work, you know. I knew, you know, I was around people that might have it here and there, but I'm not I'm gonna do God's work anyway, you know. And I know I might have to pay a price, but it's worth it, amen because we don't want to be cowardly. And I'm not saying not to be wise. It's not like, oh, hey, give me a big hug, you know? I want to get COVID. No, I'm going to be wise too, but I was trying to keep the work going, right? At the same time. And praise God. But I'm, I'm going through scripture, man. When I was going through that, and I wasn't supposed to live, I isolated to that place in Santa Barbara. You know, I cried out to the Lord, but I kept quoting verses like, to live is Christ, to die is gain, you know? Though my heart may fail me, as the scriptures say, my, my, you are my portion forever, right? Amen? I can do all things through Christ, who, through Christ who strengthens me. So we need to, you know, have verses like, I, he'll never leave you or forsake you, amen? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, what if you actually die? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I looked at that scripture a lot too. I said that a lot too. Praise the Lord, if you take me, I'm with you. And I was able to be in good spirits through it, thinking I may not be here. Oh, I, went, I was bummed out a bit. I mean, I was crying out to God, please, Lord. I got more to do, man. I'm, only, I'm not done with the Marvel video yet. That <laughs> was one of my prayers, you know. At least let me get that done. And let me say I love you to my, my, my brothers and sisters and, of course, my wife and kids, grandkids, everybody. 
And uh, praise the Lord, he's good, here, here we are. So he got me through that. I also recognize that God has not given you the spirit of fear, okay? And it's interesting, because the noun uh, delia is used just once here in 2 Timothy 1.17. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind, amen? So the power of the Holy Spirit will help you overcome. So you need to rely on God's strength. Don't rely on your own strength, because you will not overcome in your own strength. You have to say, God, give me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And this is how we face our trials. And I'm, I, you need to, you know, take notes, if not on paper, on your, in, in your heart. Yeah, I need to commit scripture to my memory so I can apply it to my life. When I'm going through trials, whether it's sickness, whether it's persecution, that, you know, all the more, when we go through persecution or trials or sickness, you should get closer to Jesus, not further away. Amen. That's the time when you need to pursue him even more than you are now. But the key is pursuing him wholeheartedly all the time. And John 14, 27, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, right? Neither be afraid. Uh, de liao, which is, these words are connected to Revelation 21, 8, the word cowardly, okay? And he says in John 14 earlier, in, your, in, your, in, in my father's, don't be, let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are what? Many mansions or many dwelling places, amen? He says, I'll receive you again to myself. You'll be with me forever, Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Amen. Let's go to the next word on the list. Unbelieving. Unbelieving. Unbelieving, you know. And that could be translated because it's from the Greek word pastuo, or pistis is the noun, you know. And it, you, you could translate it those who are unfaithful. But since we already dealt with the word cowardly, referring to the unfaithful, this is probably... Those are just simply unbelieving. And it's not like people, well, they can't believe they're just not smart enough, you know. They can't understand how God's proven himself through prophecy and so forth. You don't have to be, it's not a matter of being smart, okay. It's a matter of a condition of the heart. When the Bible talks about disbelief, it talks about a moral decision that you've made to repudiate your creator. In fact, the Lord God says the fa he's, he's obviously, you know, the invisible attributes are seen of God by the things he's made, amen. So people are without excuse, when God says you're without excuse, you're without excuse. Amen. Some human might say, well, you have no excuse. He might say, well, I do. When God says you're without excuse, you can't say a word. Said, says later in Romans, every mouth will be shut. Mm -hmm. So when God says his creation is like a megaphone that just shouts that he exists, right? You get that also in, in uh, chapter 19 of the book of Psalms. Boy, oh boy, is it true. Amen. You know, you cannot deny his existence. You know, every building has a, every painting has a, well, don't tell me the most radical building ever, the universe, with the most beautiful paintings. Every night you see a, around the world, you see thousands of them, by the way, depending on where you're at, sunsets, right? That evoked this, this con our consciousness. And by the way, that's a miracle. They can't explain where consciousness came from. And where we can relate and say, wow, how beautiful it's like. Wow, we just evolved to think things are beautiful. It's all a delusion. It's all like, well, do you know everybody, if evolution is true, is maniacal, is just a deluded idiot? Really, it's true. Think about it. If evolution is true, Darwin is true, everybody is under a delusion because they look at a sunset or a sunrise and say, how beautiful. No, it's not beautiful. You don't even know what beauty is. In fact, beauty doesn't exist if we just came out of nothingness, right? It only exists if there's a transcendent creator that created beauty and made us in his image to give us the ability to appreciate it. Amen? Amen. So nothing really matters. And that's why so many Darwinists are, uh, are narcissistic and nihilistic because they recognize there's no real meaning in life if their, if their worldview is correct. 
What we need to do is realize, hey, that was a lot of us before we got saved. Amen? And we need to reach the unbelieving with the gospel of Jesus Christ and pray that the Holy Spirit would use us and that he would use other means to convict those we're witnessing to. Amen? Because they need Jesus. Because the unbelieving, those are friends, family members, people that don't know Jesus that don't believe, they're on this list of the damned. And it should break our hearts. The Bible talks about the wise win souls, amen? You want to you make sure you're seeking to win souls and win the unbelieving. And you want to also recognize this is, as I mentioned, a moral thing going on because in John 3, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then in verse 17, he said he didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him may be saved, amen? And then in verse 18, he says, this is condemnation that they didn't believe in God's only begotten son. So not only condemned because they've broken God's moral law and all the books will be open in Revelation 20, but they're also condemned because they haven't accepted the provision for their salvation by the one who came to pay for their sins on the cross as their Lord and Savior and accepted salvation. They're doubly damned. Damned for breaking God's holy law over and over and over and over and over again, but also damned for, for rejecting his provision. That's heavy. And we know it's a, a moral decision because he goes on to say this is condemnation that the light has come to the world, but men love darkness more than light for their deeds were evil, right? They didn't come to the light lest their deeds would be exposed, amen? But those who come to light do so to show that their deeds are done in God. Now it's interesting. It, it totally makes it a moral deal. So pray for those who don't believe that God would minister to them by his Holy Spirit and just minister to their hearts, Amen and assist them and draw them to Christ. And he does that already. But when you're praying that, you know, it's just interesting how prayer works with what God's doing. Because Jesus said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself, amen? But when you pray for people specifically, it's interesting to see what happens. Yeah, they have a decision to make, amen? And all those who reject Christ, he says, if you don't believe my words, believe my miracles. He wants us to believe, amen? Amen. But people can decide not to believe. The next word on the list is abominable. The next word on the list is abominable. And that, the Greek word for abominable, it means to be vile, to be polluted, to be detestable, to be wicked, to act wickedly, to, you know. Uh, and we find this connected to the book of Revelation as well. In fact, in Revelation chapter 17, it talks about the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And the great whore of Babylon who's dressed in scarlet and gold and so forth. And, and she says, I, I'll never be a widow, you know. Uh, she's an, but she's an adulterous woman. And she's a, she's a counterfeit church, if you will. She's a counterfeit kingdom. And she pollutes the world with her immorality. And it says that, you know, that her offspring are the harlots and the, those, the abominations of the earth. And it's pretty heavy, man, because abominations have to do with if you go look at what God calls abominations in the Old Testament, it's everything from sexual perversion to witchcraft and sorcery and bestiality and, you know, all kinds of incest. All those things are abomination to God. And when the Antichrist comes, he's called the man of lawlessness. And the whore of Babylon with the beast, who's called the man of lawlessness, will be promoting these kinds of, these kinds of lifestyles, abominations. And by the way, this verse is such a powerful verse. I remember preaching this years and years ago. I don't know, 20 years ago or so in this verse. And I remember afterwards, a sister came up and she was just so impacted by the verse. She came up to me, I think a week or two later. That really hit me so hard. Uh, in fact, there was a guy who uh, knocked on my door one day and uh, we let him in and we let him live with us for some time. 
on our couch. He was a druggie, you know, kind of on the streets, you know. And uh, uh, his life, he was just lost, like so many of us. I think he was in meth, and, you know, pot, all that, just all the drugs and stuff. And we then live on our couch. We felt that, you know, okay, we got to be careful, lock our door, you know, at night. And he was there for weeks. And, and then he started coming to church with us pretty immediately. And we were going to come to church for a while, like, I don't know, two, three, three months or something at that point. We were talking all about Jesus. And we we're talking about, man, you know, hopefully this guy will get saved. And then I preached on this verse, Revelation 21.8. And we got to the one liars, you know, there. And after the service, he came to me and said, man, he was all, like, convicted. And he hung out with a lot of druggies. He said, everybody I hang out with, you know, they're all liars. They're all liars. Well, I was sitting with him last night. And he said, he goes, you know what got me saved? God stopped me in his tracks with his word. Stopped me in his tracks by his word. Started talking about the power of God's word in his life. He started talking about this verse and that discussion we had, you know. And he was like, God just totally used that to show me that I was a liar too. And I didn't get right with Jesus. It put the fear of God in him, you know. And he like just, he's been following Christ ever since, you know. And now he knows the word better than most people I know. He's in the word. That would be my wife's brother over there, Mark. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mark. Your anniversary verse. Your anniversary verse. My anniversary verse is Revelation 21.8. Wow. <laughs> God is good. Amen. You know, it's the power of God's word. He saves us through his word. You know, receive the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Amen. That's what it says. And don't underestimate the power of the word, you know. Just, just share it with people, and the Holy Spirit will use, the Holy Spirit will convict them, amen? Just, we all need to be convicted. Every one of us here who's a Christian, we did not become a Christian apart from being convicted of our sin and realizing that we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We need to accept what he's done for us on the cross, amen, and his resurrection. So, praise God. I was being interviewed recently. Didn't do, we did a lot of interviews lately over the Marvel uh, DVD that came out, a lot of radio stations and so forth, and podcast and I was being interviewed by a woman named Doreen Virtue and she was the top new ager I don't know seven years ago or so six seven years ago with the most selling biggest selling new age books she was way successful she'd be on speaking tours with Deepak Chopra Deepak Chopra and others you know Wayne Dyer the top new age teachers and she was doing all that and she's driving down the road one day and she had on the Christian radio and she heard a pastor preaching from 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 4, about how people have itching ears, right, in the last days. And they'll heap themselves teachers that'll tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And they'll turn away from truth to errors. And he was talking about these false teachers you've got to watch out for, who just leave out the important things in Scripture, leave out the warnings, because they just want to get a big church. And she goes, that's me. Isn't that crazy? driving out the road, that's me. She said, I went home. I told my husband, the Bible talks about me. This is what I'm doing. Because she was channeling angels, you know, and all this kind of stuff, right? And writing all these books on it. She goes, that's me. And then she went to Deuteronomy chapter 18, 9 through 12, where it talks about these things. If you enter into the land, right? When you enter, when you enter the land, don't learn to practice the detestable things of those nations, Right? like witchcraft and sorcery, wizardry, all these things. Because of these things, the Lord is putting them out of land. And if you practice them, he'll also put you out of land. They're an abomination, abomination, abomination. 
And she read that. She goes, I'm an abomination. She realized that she's an abomination to God. And it convicted her and showed her her need to come to Jesus, you know. And she had a, a rough time, you know, going through that. And, and then, but thankfully, she came to understand who the real Jesus is. And right now, she's, her testimony is that she's embracing the Jesus Christ of Scripture who died for her sins and rose again and conquered death. And she repudiates those teachings now. And she's one of, the, one of those who, you know, she uses her podcast, which I think has like almost 400,000 subscribers, <laughs> to warn against the New Age movement through her testimony and what she, came in, what she came through. Pretty heavy. Are you on that list? Are you practicing abominations, abominable practices? You have to repent. You have to turn from those things and seek the Lord. Amen and do what's right, and glorify him. Abominations are everything else on this list, are abominations. If you want to know what the abominations are, just look at the rest of the list. It generalizes basically all these kinds of practices, amen? The next thing on the list is what? Murderers. Murderers. Well, in the book of Revelation, who are the murderers? Because we're looking at the immediate context, right? The murderers are those who kill other people, Right? Murder people, take the lives of other people. The, the Bible says that we're created in the image of God and that God is the only one that has the right to save and to destroy, amen? Now he can give, for instance, the state the ability to have capital punishment. In the book of Genesis, it talks about though we're created in the image of God and that if uh, he that kills someone who's made in the image of God should also be put to death, it says that. That's why I'm not against death penalty. Although, unfortunately, the death penalty is supposed to Unfortunately, death penalty can be misused, can it? And it's be used against Christians. And you see that in the book of Revelation, the murderers are the beast, right? The murderers are the, the great whore of Babylon who, whose hands are, you know, she has a cup of gold filled with her abominations, right? But her hands drip with the blood of the saints, it says. She has on her the blood of the saints. And the Christians are going to be persecuted in mass. And so there'll be a lot of mass murder of Christians going on in the end of days. Uh, there's a lot of murder going on right now in our country. Millions and millions and millions of innocent people have been murdered the last just a few years. Who am I talking about? Babies. Baby. Well, babies. Well, that doesn't count. Really? Babies, should, babies count at least as much as you. I'll just say that. Because they're innocent. They haven't even sinned, right? And we've killed 62 million plus babies in our country. Murderers, man. They're on this list. That's why you want to make sure if you've ever committed abortion or if you're a man and say, yeah, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I've never done that. You know how many men encourage their girlfriends and a lot of times their wives to get abortions? There's blood on your hands, sir. Everybody needs to get right with Jesus on this who's been participating in it. Amen? Praise God. Jesus, the God's, God's word says that, he's, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of what? All unrighteousness. That means he died for every abortion that's ever been committed. Amen? So you can be free and set free and have no condemnation. And after you've confessed that, the enemy comes and accuses you over it. And you've already confessed it, Lord. I, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You're already forgiven. And he comes back to convict you of that. That's the enemy. That's not the Holy Spirit. You know how you tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and the devil? The devil is the accuser of the brethren. The devil condemns you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Big difference, folks. Amen. Convict means, hey, you've blown it. You need to get right. You've sinned. You've, you've sinned against God radically. You need to repent and get right. Because God wants you to be right with him. He loves you. That's why he sent his son. That's why he saved Paul, the chief of sinners. So we can be saved, amen? So you need to receive that. But if you've confessed your sin, amen, and you've repented of it, and 
you start to get haunted with what you did in the past, that comes from the enemy. Amen. Or an oversensitive consci sensitive conscience that hasn't been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Talk about your conscience. You can receive cleansing, but you can have a conscience that hasn't been informed enough. You need to remind yourself in Christ Jesus, praise God, he's forgiven me. Okay? I'm not one of those guys that says, we need to forgive ourselves more. Some preach whole messages on how we need to forgive ourselves. I don't see that in the Bible. I don't preach that. You need to accept Jesus' forgiveness for you. And because the joy you'll have for that, you'll be able to let it go. Amen. You'll be say, praise God. You know that he's, he's forgiven me. And it's interesting right now, there's something in the news. I don't know if you caught it. But uh, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden both claim to be devout Catholics. And Nancy Pelosi says, you know, said that I'm a, a devout, she says literally, quote, as a devout practicing Catholic, you know. What's interesting, the archbishop, because she's from the Fisco area, that's her main base, right? She's the top Democrat under Biden, after Biden. Both of them are pro-abortion. Well, San Francisco's archbishop, he barred Pelosi, just happened, from taking communion because of her support of abortion. Interesting. He wrote, as a Catholic legislator, he wrote this to her, who supports procured abortion after, I'm sorry, a Catholic, he writes to her, a legislature, which she claims to be, uh, she is a legislature, but she claims to be Catholic, who supports procured abortion after knowing the teaching of the church, commits a manifestly grave sin, which is a cause of most serious scandal to others, because she's leading millions of other people, many, many other Catholics in this, and other people. Therefore, universal church law provides that church persons are not, quote, are not to be admitted to Holy Communion, he says in the letter. He writes, therefore, in light of my responsibility as Archbishop of San Francisco to be concerned for all Christian faithful entrusted to my care, and he gives the code canon of the Catholic law, uh, by means of this communication, I am hereby notifying you that you are not to present yourself for Holy Communion and should not do so. Uh, you are not to be admitted to Holy Communion until such a time as you publicly repudiate your advocacy for the legitimacy of abortion and confess and receive absolution of this grave sin in the sacrament of penance, he said. Wow. Now, we agree with that. Well, it's taken a little while for the Catholic Church to get around doing this with her, right? Uh, but... Uh, and even that, this, we would, we would subscribe to everything to say she needs to repent of it, right? But Catholic salvation has to do with doing a bunch of works to pay for what you've done. So they need the right gospel though, right? That's why we understand that Catholicism is, is not true Christianity. But they uphold some of the moral laws of the Bible for sure and some of the teachings of the Bible. You know, so do Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, so don't get it confused. We're not saying the Catholic Church is right, but we are saying the right to say abortion is wrong. They need to take it a step further though and they need to excommunicate her, okay? Uh, if, you know, because guess what the Catholic catechism teaches? Since the first century, it says, the church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. The catechism goes on to state, this teaching has not changed and remains unchangeable. Direct abortion, that is to say, abortion willed either as an end or as a means is gravely contrary to the moral law. It goes on to call it abortion, a fantasy, calling it, quote, abominable crimes. And also declares, quote, formal cooperation in an abortion constitutes a grave offense. The church attaches the canonical penalty of excommunication to this crime against human life. So they've taken a while before they finally, nope, can't take communion with us. Well, they need to do the other step that they talk about is saying you can't be part of our church, which is not 
as I said, a biblical church in a lot of ways. It's not really the Christian church. They claim to be the true church, but they have praying to a bunch of people that have died. All, you know, that's considered necromancy in the Bible. And salvation comes through uh, the treasure of merit works that other people worked up for you. And you get out of purgatory after you burn off your venial sins. A lot of that's a denial of Christ's finished work on the cross. Amen. So let's not make any mistakes here. Uh, the next on the list. Oh, by the way, we don't, we don't want to get, off, get ourselves off so easily with hate, uh, murder. Because guess what? If you've been committed abortion, we've talked about that. You could be forgiven. Make sure you've repented. You know, confess your sin. Praise God for that. Amen. But there's other people who've never, ever committed abortion in this fellowship, maybe, who are murderers. Okay? Right here. They're sitting here as murderers who haven't repented. Okay? And listening by way of podcasts. We have a ton of people listening by podcasts or by live stream. We love you guys, but you, you're guilty of murder. You need to repent. What do I mean? Jesus said if you hate your brother, right? You're guilty of murder. You got to repent of that. First John says, he that hates his brother is a murderer and does not have eternal life in him. Whew. That's serious stuff. What does that mean? That means that you look at your brother and for whatever reason, the devil's conjured up in your heart or mind. You have hatred toward him and you wish ill on him and you wish he would, would just, you, you have evil intent in your heart, you know? And, and you don't love him. You don't want his best. But you want bad things to befall him. You have hatred toward him. Amen? Yep, Esau, breathing threats of hate toward his brother. Amen? And the Bible talks about Cain and Abel. First John, when it's talking about, right when it talks about if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. You have, don't have eternal life in you. It talks, about, it talks about Cain and Abel right there. You know, you can be an adulterer without having sex with a woman, amen? You could just be visualizing it and wanting to have sex with a woman and refuse to repent and continue to be like that, and then you, you're an adulterer. Well, same thing is true with, with, with anger. If you allow hatred to just swell up in your heart and you try to hurt other people, you're damned and you're on a grease pole to hell, basically. You have to repent of it. It's very, very serious. That means you need to pray for people that you have a hard time with. Doesn't, now, don't get hatred mixed up with, you know, uh, oh, man, I love this sister or I love this brother, but I'm irked by them. Well, then pray that you'd be unirked, amen? If they're doing something wrong, go to them as the scriptures say in love and say, hey, you know, I need, believe you need to repent of this if they're in some kind of sin. Well, if they're not in sin, that's even a stupider reason not to, or to hate someone, right? <laughs> right? It's like, what? You're a Christian, amen? The world does better than that often. So we need to make sure that our hearts are right with God, amen? Because you can fool people, but you can't fool God. You can act like you're a Christian, but if you have hatred for your brothers and sisters and you don't repent of it, it's, you're on this list of murderers because murderers are defined as haters. Jesus talked about the Sermon on the Mount, Right? If, your brother, if you have something against your brother, right, don't go and worship God. Before you give your offering to the Lord of worship, go to him and make things right before you're delivered to the, to the jailers. And spiritually speaking, that refers to if you don't forgive your brother, Jesus said after you've been forgiven all this great deal, he goes, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Amen. That's why part of the Lord's prayer is, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Why do you think that's part of a prayer, Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our 
daily bread. So it sounds like a daily prayer, right? And the next thing is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that's the part that Jesus replied to or respond, went on to talk about in Matthew chapter 6. You know, he talked about if you forgive your brothers, you'll be forgiven. But if you don't forgive them, you won't be forgiven. And Satan loves to stir up dissension among the brothers. Don't let him get away with it. When you do that, you become a little person when you hate people. You say, well, I'm not hating on anybody, man. Well, then good, I'm not talking to you. But if you're hating on people, I'm talking to you. And I'm saying this for your own good. Amen? Amen. And if you're with other people and you hear them hating on other brothers or sisters, right? You're getting your hair done with a few other sisters. And you're all talking about Jill. And I, I know Jill's got a lot of problems, you know. No, there's no Jill here. I'm just kidding, you know. But you're talking about some gal, Jill, you know, Amanda. I'm trying to find names that aren't here right now. Not aren't here right now, but don't go here, you know. Or never went, you know. Is you want to pray for people, but sometimes you can hate on people by just like, you know, pray for Jill. Why do you want to why do you, pray for Jill? What do you mean? Oh, she's just going through a lot right now. Do you see her skin? She just breaks out like, it's disgusting, you know. And she's gaining weight, man. Did you see? God, pray for Jill. She needs a diet, you know. I don't know if any girls talk like that. I'm just saying whatever. You know, I don't hear the gossip of the sisters talking. I'm just like, you know. <laughs> but I'm sure it gets worse than that, huh? There's people, I mean, they, there's mothers that, there's a gal that, committed, that killed herself because her mom was writing for her, little, her daughter saying mean things to her, trying to get her to kill herself. You're so ugly and everything else. It happened some years ago. That happens all the time. We need to make sure that we, uh, we grow up, amen, and that we're not haters, that we're lovers, amen. And if you see that going on and you're sitting down and a sister's like, you're like, man, she just really talks bad about everybody to exalt herself or a brother. So a lot of time it's self-exaltation, you know. It's a lot about putting them, themselves up to make themselves look better by putting other people down. Check them and say, hey, bro, that ain't right. You need to forgive and love, amen, and not hate. Hey, sister, because when we look at these words, sometimes we think, oh, I'm not a murderer. That's not me. And if you're hating on people, you are. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is, for our first word, love, amen, love from a pure heart. And that, I'm putting another verse with that, 1 Timothy uh, 1.5. The next on the list is immoral persons, immoral persons. Now, that's from the Greek word uh, pornois or porneo. Uh, porneo, immoral persons. I think the NIV has sexually immoral there, and that's the word porneo. It's from that word, which we get the word pornography and pornographic, you know, and it refers to sexually immoral. It refers to uh, adulterers, those who cheat on their wives, those women who cheat on their husbands those who are committing acts of homosexuality, those who are involved in incest or pedophilia, prostitutes, all these things, Every, all sexual sins fall. And well, how do we know what sexual sin is? What does the Bible say sexual sin is? That's how you know, okay? And it mentions these types of things. And we need to make sure, uh, you know, well, well uh, of course, Joe, yeah, we know there are gonna be on the list, you know, the. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, adulterers and fornicators, it says the marriage bed is undefiled. If you're married, the bed's undefiled. God created male and female that the two would become one flesh. Amen? And the marriage bed is undefiled, but adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. 
Okay, fornicators are those who are having sex with people outside of their marriage, and well, you need to repent. That's on the list of the damned here. And right here we have adulterers as well, prostitutes, homosexuals, and so forth. Very, very serious, uh, uh, serious because they're on the list of the damned. But also, well, thank God, I'm, I'm, I'm married and I've never cheated on my wife. But are you watching pornography? You're cheating on your wife. You're committing sexual sin. You need to repent. I love you. I say this because I love you. Okay, and I know a ton of men that, you know, have struggled with it. I know it's a, you know, there's a book called Every Man's Battle Out There. I thought that's an interesting title because every man is going to have the battle of temptation. Okay, any man uh, is going to recognize that women are beautiful, you know, and it could be a struggle, you know. Israel, great chat with you. Israel can't see. He loves Jesus. He's up in the front row here. Awesome man of God. He's telling man, even blind people have to fight those kinds of thoughts, right? Yes, we do. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That's pretty heavy when you think about it. That shows how powerful it is. Amen? And praise God, Israel has victory just walking and following Jesus. Amen? That's the key, right, Israel? Sticking to Jesus, man, and growing in grace. But guess what? You know, Jesus said, if you lust with, after a woman with your eyes, you commit adultery in your heart. Wow. So if you're betting women in your eyes, you've got to repent. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Help me not to do that. Amen? Walk in the Spirit. It says you will not fulfill the desires of flesh. How do you combat it? Walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of flesh. Stay busy for Jesus. And Psalm 103, the psalmist says, I will set nothing. When I'm in my house, I will set nothing evil before my eyes. That's another thing you do. You just determine your heart. I'm not going to set anything evil before my eyes. Okay? If something comes up, I'm going to avoid it. Amen? Because there's so much stuff on social media and movies and elsewhere, you have to be very, very careful, you know? So it's a temptation that we all have to overcome, male or female. There's countless women that are into pornography, okay? I saw some statistics really that were alarming. I'm like, wow, even women are into it now. That's just heavy because uh, you want to make sure that you're not taken hostage, taken captive through pornography, in fact, Pornhub, I read, is the world's largest porn site in the world, and it receives around 35 billion, 35 billion with a B, hits a year. That's seven times the population of the world. I'm like, when I read that number, I'm like, I, did I say billion? And absolutely heartbreaking when you think about that. And you guys... The, the world says, oh, pornography is not that bad. Pornography is good. It could be good for your marriage. In fact, there was a, uh, a false teacher who became Trump's main cabinet leader, I should say, main leader for his prayer squad. I'm trying to remember her name. Paula White. You guys all know her name. You don't watch her, do you? Okay. I'm teasing. I know you don't. But she's a false teacher. You know, a lot of you know her name, Paula White. And uh, she teaches the word faith gospel, false gospel. You know, name it, claim it. God wants everybody rich. And her and her husband did a talk, and her husband, who was an ex-singer for a really big band, popular secular band, and they talked about how, you know, and he, he talks about how it's good for husbands or, or couples to watch pornography together to strengthen their love life. You know, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Did you guys know that the best way to destroy your love life with your spouse is pornography? Do you know that's what not just the Bible says? Now does the Bible condemn it and puts it on the list of the damned here? And by the way, when I say, well, well they, pornography wasn't around then. Pornography's been around since 
pretty much recorded history, okay? They have literally hundreds and hundreds of frescoes and statues uh, that were in the mountains of Pompeii, Vesuvius Mountains in Pompeii of just illicit pornographic statues and frescoes before the volcano went off and buried, that, buried them, okay? Kind of interesting. Is, it's been around for a long time. And it's interesting, the science now, the science, it doesn't get quoted much because people don't want to hear it, especially the world, but scientists have found out that pornography is incredibly damaging. In fact, I was reading uh, recently Neuroscience News. And I was reading from a, a two or three different uh, scientific journals and publications uh, that I found really interesting. And uh, I'll just, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a whole message on this at the men's retreat, okay? If you miss that particular night at the men's retreat, I know, and you slept through it, I'm gonna say, hey, why did you miss? I'm kidding, sometimes people sleep in, but don't miss it on purpose, okay? Uh, because we're gonna get into ways to have victory over porn. Uh, so Neuroscience News, the headline, Watching pornography rewires the brain to a more juvenile state. It makes you like a little kid in a bad way. From eroding the prefrontal cortex, an area of the brain critical for impulse control, like kids can't control themselves, right? Often they do things that are like, why did you just do that? To damaging the dopamine reward system. It throws that all out of balance too where you can't really experience pleasure the way you ought to after you start engaging in this stuff. Science is making, it says, quote, it's already clear that mental health and sex lives, that's of porn, porn people in the porn, is widespread, uh, its widespread audience of porn are suffering catastrophic effects. And this news article on Neuroscience News cites a bunch of different studies, okay? Uh, they're suffering catastrophic effects from depression to erectile dysfunction, I'll say that quick, Porn <laughs> appears to be, I always hear, like you're driving down the road and you hear that uh, an advertisement. You're like, turn that off. The kids are back there. It's like, what in the world? Now it's the grandkids are back there. It's like, what are they doing? Uh, but the, porn appears to be hijacking our neural wiring and dire with dire consequences. The secular scientific news site, neuroscience news. The article mentions the effects on marriages adversely in relationships to uh, destroying one's sexuality and their ability to enjoy sex. Isn't that interesting? The Neuroscience News article states, quote, porn use has been correlated with erosion of the prefrontal cortex, the region of the brain that houses executive functions like morality, willpower, and impulse control. So people that watch pornography, they destroy the ability to make right decisions and right moral decisions in their life in other areas of life too. Isn't that interesting? You see, the prefrontal cortex, it says, quote, remains undeveloped during childhood. So you're in childhood, that it remains undeveloped. This is why children struggle to regulate their emotions and impulses. That's why they make so many bad decisions. Damage to the prefrontal cortex in adulthood is termed hyperfrontality, which predisposes an individual to behave compulsively and make poor decisions. In other words, guess what? It reduces the prefrontal cortex that helps you make moral decisions to that of a child where you can't discern what's right and wrong. That's, that's amazing. Uh, that has profound effects on your moral decisions. So when people say, I'm not hurting anybody by watching porn, yeah, you are. You're hurting yourself, and the decisions that you make can affect others. Can I hear an amen from everybody? Amen. The Neuroscience News states also, this article says, in, now I thought, this is kind of near the very end of the article. 
it's somewhat paradoxical that adult entertainment, so-called, right, may revert our brain wiring to a more juvenile state. And then it says, the much greater irony is that while porn promises to satisfy and provide sexual gratification, it delivers the opposite. Because all of a sudden, guess what? Whoever's involved in the porn, married man, he's not interested in his wife anymore. Because, and I don't want to, because I only have so many minutes left, so I need to go to the next one. And that's why I devoted a whole article to this. And when I deal with the next one, which deals with pharmacaea, sorcery, I can only spend a little bit of time on it too, because I'll do, when we're in Revelation 22, when I'm at the men's retreat, I'll do it with pornography, because it needs more attention. When I get to Revelation 22, 15, when it gives advice that's similar to this, I'll do a whole message on pharmacaea and drugs right now. Marijuana became legal, that needs attention. Uh, sorcerers, the next thing on the list, sorcerers. In the book of Revelation, sources are mentioned more than any other place in the New Testament. Revelation 18.23. Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Revelation chapter 22, verse 15. 14 and 15. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. That's four places of the five places also mentioned. One other place in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. As a list of the, as a vice of the flesh of those who will not inherit God's kingdom. Here it's of those who go to the lake of fire. Revelation 22.15. Of those who will not... Uh, enter into the holy city of New Jerusalem. It's a very, very serious sin. And guess what the Greek word is? It's from the word, it's pharmakeia, okay? There's pharmakous, pharmakeia, pharmakon. These are all different, similar Greek words in the New Testament, which we don't have time to get into. But it's from these words that we get the word pharmacy and the words we get pharmaceutical, okay? And believe me, I have like 35, 40 pages. I'm gonna preach it all when I do it on a Sunday in the future because we're in the next chapter. But I'll preach the best of a lot of it because uh, in a message or so, and because it's something that is overtaking our nation right now. Drugs are getting smuggled in by the cartels. If I just told you what it takes to make methamphetamines, you know, all these different things that you'd never drink, like Drano or whatever, you know, you just mix all these wicked things, destructive poison together, and boom, you have a drug that destroys people. And by the way, did you know pornography affects the same part of the brain drugs affect in, 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 in similar ways? It's, and that's why many scientists say pornography is like a drug. It's like drug abuse. Well, right now we're talking about sorcery. MTV some time ago said Wicca is one of the fastest growing religions in the United States. That's witchcraft, right? A surprising number of young witches MTV News spoke with also said that they became curious about their faith through misguiding pop culture fare like uh, Camp uh, uh, Neve or, or Campbell vehicle, the Craft, uh, Harry Potter series. And then they go on to say, guess a few conservative Christian groups, that would be us too, were right about that one. Yeah, because we said, hey, it's going to cause an increase. Oh, the liberals, no, don't worry. And a lot of Christians, oh, no, it's safe. Harry Potter, no big deal. Guess what? Witchcraft has gone through the roof, man, since those times. And now with the new Marvel movies incorporating sorcery and the latest Marvel movie just came out this month, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Don't have time to get it all, but watch our video, man. We have a new one coming out on Doctor Strange, Lester Crowley in the... Marvel Universe of, I don't want to give away the title yet, but uh, because Doctor Strange is a sorcerer and he was made in the image of Satanist Aleister Crowley. And that's the big Marvel movie out right now. They didn't break the sorcerer out for some time. Wouldn't be accepted. Now guess what? He's using Darkhold, a book by which you can get into other universes and do different and do magic and it's considered an evil spell book in, in the comics. Written by an ancient demon in blood on human flesh. And it's connected to another. Well, I'm gonna just, I don't want to get into it. But I'll just say this. 
He's made in the image of Satan, it's Alyssa Crowley. That's how Dr. Strange was made. In fact, one of the main writers for Dr. Strange for many years was a member of Crowley's OTO organization and put a lot of the Crowleyan teaching in. And we have a, a quote from him that we're going to use where he's on an OTO program or a Crowleyan program, I should say, I don't know if it's OTO, where the program starts off with the host saying, do what thou wilt. And he's saying, wow. And they're talking about, you know, the host is talking about how it's great, how you got into Crowley, man, and became a member of this, you know, Crowley, follower of Crowley and brought his teachings into the Marvel through Dr. Strange, you know. You guys, I'm telling you right now, watch out for what's going on with your children. In fact, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when you look at what's going on, you know, Disney owns Marvel, right? Disney owns Marvel right now. And Disney was a, was into, he loved, he loved magic and witchcraft. He was a, he was a Rosicrucian. Walt Disney. It's like, yeah, it's gotten really bad. Hey guys, they've, they've pushed the envelope for years. They can only make it so bad and acceptable. He's a Rosicrucian and the Rosicrucians, they are occultists and their whole idea is to make occultism popular. And he did what he could when he was alive. But guess what? Whether it's now a lot of the Marvel, and they've been doing this for a number of years now, they not only push occultism, but they push homosexuality with so many of their characters now. Even one of the main characters in the new movie, she's the only one that has the ability at will to just go from one universe to another. Uh, she is a homosexual, in, and she has two mothers. The two mothers show up in the film, the new film, but in the comics, she's a lesbian and she flirts with a lot of other girls and stuff and so forth. But let's listen to a leader among Disney, producer, director. I, I'd heard that she was like a, the head of like TV animation for Disney. So when you say, oh, I, I'm going to be, be safe with my kid and just let him watch Disney today. Woo, watch out what you're letting your kids watch. Let's watch a little kip, clip that she didn't know was going to get out when she's talking to other Disney people in a Zoom call. Bear with us for one minute here, last audio. On my little pocket of like, you know, proud family, Disney TVA, um, the showrunners were super welcoming, Meredith Roberts and like the, the, our leadership over there has been so welcoming to like my like not at all secret gay agenda. And I don't have to be afraid to like, let's have these two characters kiss. Let's in the background, this, like I was just, Wherever I could, just basically adding queerness to, like, the, if you see anything queer in the show, I'm proud of But, like, I, I just was like, no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. You could stop her from influencing your kids, amen? Because a lot of times it's just she's saying it's putting queerness wherever she could, you know, to put it in your kid's face. It's, she even called it her not-so-secret what? Gay agenda. Okay, we have to watch our hearts. We have to watch the hearts of our children. Back to Revelation 21.8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. The next thing on the list is idolaters. An idolater is someone who puts anything before God. Amen? Anything. And in the context of the book of Revelation, especially worshiping the Antichrist, the beast, taking his number to buy or sell. Amen? But he also addresses idolatry in the church of Pergamum, church of Thyatira, that they need to make sure that they're repentant because certain people have not repented of their idolatry in those churches. We have to make sure, well, praise God, I don't bow down between it before every images. In fact, I don't even bow down before Mary anymore because I'm an ex-Catholic and I got born again and praise God. But guess what? You might still be an idolater because the Bible says last days, 
Terrible times will come and men will be lovers of self. You may shave your idol, as we've said before, as a man. Or you may spend an hour putting makeup on your idol as a gal because you put yourself before Jesus and you live for pleasure rather than Jesus. Don't do that. Don't live for pleasure. You may park your idol in your garage or your, in, your, in your, you know, your front yard. Don't, man. Don't idolize things. Amen. The Bible says greed is idolatry in Colossians. Maybe you love money. Jesus says you can't love both God and mammon. Either you hate the one and love the other, you love the one and hate the other. Make sure you're not putting anything before Jesus. And the last thing on the list is liars, all liars. And by the way, the book of Revelation is filled with liars. The, the beast has a false prophet who does lying signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Does false miracles, counterfeit miracles. Who can make war with him? There's a big lie. Jesus is going to make war with him. It's going to be pretty easy. When he comes back, bam, you're dead. You're gone. You're wiped out. Amen. And make sure you're not a liar. Make sure you're not making up things or distorting things to get your way in some way or to get money or to get power or to get accepted, or whatever it is you might be tempted to lie for, or to, or to deceive the bill collectors, or whatever. Speak the truth in love, the Bible says. Amen? Don't be a liar. And it doesn't say, when you say, well, I'm a liar, but I'm not as bad as those liars. This Bible verse is interesting. It says, all liars. Okay? Well, I'm an altruistic liar. I just tell lies so things won't get rough. Don't do that. Repent and trust the Lord and do what's right and he will take care of you, amen? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all your needs will be met, amen? Don't be a liar, amen? In fact, one of the 10 commandments which is repeated in the New Testament as part of the law of Christ is not to bear false witness against your brother, amen? Well, he says at the very end of the verse, their part is in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's been said... If you, live, if you die once, if you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. And what that means is if you're born once, physically, but you refuse to be born again, you don't only die physically, but you also die spiritually in the lake of fire forever. But if you're born twice, we've all had a physical death here, amen? But you are born again and come to Jesus and recognize you need forgiveness of your sins, you'll have new life in Christ, amen? And you won't die again. After you die once physically, you'll be spiritually alive forever in God's presence, amen? If you haven't been born again, the key is, here's, apply some of this to your life. Don't do those things. Pretty simple, right? Don't be, get yourself, make sure you're not on the list. And that means you need to repent. In Revelation 9, it lists the vices. It says they didn't repent of their evil deeds. And it talks about many of these things we just mentioned. Make sure you repent. You have a change of mind, a change of heart, and that you are not on the list of the damned. Amen? And make sure you've turned to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Because Jesus died for you. Paid for all the sins you've committed. I don't care if it's been witchcraft or, or uh, porneo, fornicaea, abortion, hatred toward a brother or sister, any of that. Whatever you've done idolatry, if you say, Lord, God, have mercy on me, I repent. I, I'm leaving that list of the damned. I'm embracing Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and receive the forgiveness that comes through faith in him. You'll pass, the Bible says, from death to life, amen? And you'll have eternal life. Make sure you do that. Otherwise, you'll be damned. Confess Christ right now as your Lord and Savior. Turn from those things. Radically turn from those things and embrace Jesus, amen? And you'll have eternal life. Can we all please stand up as they pass out the cup and the bread? And as they're passing out the cup and the bread, why do we take communion? Why did Jesus tell us to take communion? 